10,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. All right, so tonight we're going to deal with failure. Failure. Now, if you're breathing in this place tonight, then you have failed sometime, somehow, in some way in your life. It may not, of course, have been the, the winning game shot or whatever, but it still may have been just as tragic to you, you know, but it may not have been that. So we all have failed now, if you haven't failed, please raise your hands so I, so I can bring you up here because you're taking my place tonight and you're preaching tonight. Anybody? Okay, it's what I thought. Everybody has. Absolutely. So, but out of all the failures, Michael Jordan never let that de define him. He never let the failures define him at all. Nor was he afraid to fail again. Sometimes, when we do mess up, when we do fail here and there, we're afraid to do something else because we're afraid we're going to fail again. And so he never let that happen. And because he wasn't afraid to fail, he was very successful, as we all know. Still, one of the, still the greatest basketball player of all time. So and I'm glad that I grew up with him to watch him do that. Hallelujah. Now, there was another very impoverished boy whose mother and father could not read or write. He did not like his father, and his mother died when he was only nine years old. His sister died when he was 18 years old. And he only had one year of formal education. At the age of 23, he opened up a business that failed. And he had to file for bankruptcy, and that took him many, many years to pay back. He found the love of his life, but before they could get married, she died suddenly. He failed at four other relationships before finally settling down with the woman. He had four children in which his three-year-old son died of tuberculosis and his 11-year-old son died of typhoid uh, fever. He tried a lot of different jobs, such as carpentry, uh, Riverboat man, whatever that means, store clerk, he was a soldier, he was a merchant, a postmaster, a blacksmith, and a surveyor. But he didn't like any of those jobs. And he settled down and took a career in being a lawyer and a politician. And in his 32 year career as a politician, he lost at becoming a state representative six times. Six times. What failures. <laughs> lost in the Senate twice. Lost as a U.S. representative. Lost in Congress twice. And lost running for the president twice as well. That's a lot of failures. But finally, in 1860, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Abraham Lincoln became our 16th president of the United States, and then again four years later was re-elected as the president of the United States. Now, Abe had a lot of failures, 
and disappointments. And there's a lot more failures and disappointments that he had in there. We went to deep depression and everything else that happened to him. And I, I don't know if I could have handled all that that he went through. And you know, after he was, after he was uh, killed, his, I think, 18-year-old son then died as well, six years later. Lots of tragedy. Lots of failures in Abe's life. That was crazy. But the thing is this. We all have failed. And we all have to get back up. Abe had to get back up. He wanted to get back up. He didn't lay there and say, forget this life. Poor me. Why are you against me? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. So, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, if you want to turn there, we're going to read that here in a second. You know, I think that the busier we are, the more chances we have of failure. You know, the more we do. I mean, that dude was doing a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. If he decided, well, I was just going to be a blacksmith, he wouldn't have had as many failures. But I think the busier we are, the more things we do, the more failures that can happen to us. But we just can't quit. You know, and the reason his failures aren't talked about so much is because he didn't quit. It's because he tried. He moved on. Okay, well, you know what? Starting that store didn't work. Well, he moved on. That failure set him up to do something different. So I think sometimes failure is horrible. I don't think failure is horrible all the time. A lot of times it can be. But you know what? That set him up for doing something else, something else that he was supposed to do. You with me on that? All right. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, it says that if you think you are strong or standing strong, be careful not to fall. I think sometimes we think we can handle more than we can really handle in life. I can do that. I'm invincible, you know. But 1 Corinthians tells us we have to be careful when we're standing strong, be careful that we could fail, so don't fail. That was, a, that was a warning there. And I think that we pretty much know what our weaknesses are, and so we try to um, hide those weaknesses or stay away from those weaknesses. Uh, we, don't, we don't go around that area if we know we're weak in that area because we don't want to fail in that area. But sometimes I think, like 1 Corinthians ten twelve says, we rarely watch out for just how strong we think we really are. And uh, a good illustration that came to my mind when I was writing this out was uh, our safety team, oh, it was uh, a little while ago, we were doing some safety routines. And so the staff was uh, with them and they were showing us some stuff and everything. And, and so one of the uh, other safety team members who uh, works at a prison and who has to deal with uh, some bad dudes all the time and, and things like that. Well, he challenged our lead safety team guy and said that there's no way that you're ever going to pin me. I will never be pinned and I will never tap out. 
Now I'm standing beside this dude and I'm going, bro, shh, shut up, man. What are you doing? You're nuts. What are you saying? You know, and he wouldn't do it. And so lead safety team guy says, come on out here. And I was like, oh my gosh, get the ambulance ready. Get the ambulance ready. You know, he thought he was big stuff, man. He's in prison. He beats down prisoners. He had some mean dudes. There's no way I'm tapping out. Well, when they started, the lead, the lead, our lead guy got him on the ground. And in three seconds, he goes, he tapped him out, baby. Three seconds. We were rolling. I mean, we were rolling. I was laughing so hard I was crying. Because apparently, my brother didn't read 1 Corinthians 10, 12. <laughs> Look out, my man. Be careful not to fail. If you think you're standing strong, watch out. And he got laid down real fast, real fast. He got humbled real fast. That was a failure, you know, in his life. But we laughed it off, and we had fun with it. <laughs> so that was interesting. But we are all capable of failure and sin. All of us are. And the devil does not discriminate, and neither does failure. Failure does not care who you are, what you are, how much money you have, how broke you are, what your uh, background is, how you were raised. Failure does not care, just like the devil does not care. But if there was a positive side to failure, I think that it would be that it is temporary. Failure is just temporary. And it's just an unfortunate moment in time. And even though it hurts, even though sometimes it's as big as maybe, you know, in your life as Michael Jordan losing a big game or whatever, it's temporal. It's just a bad moment in time. And you have to get over it. Well, you have no idea, Pastor Andy, what I've been through. I don't. And it doesn't matter. You have to get over it. You just have to. Or you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Satan will have you trapped. And you'll, you'll be no good to yourself, to anybody around you, and to what God has for you to do. All right. Abraham Lincoln had all those failures, setbacks, pain, agony. And you know, he didn't have God like we have. I was trying to read through. Was he a Christian? Was he born again? You know, he stayed away from church. He stayed away from churches like ours is what it said. But he did have a Bible and he quoted it often. When I thought to myself, well, the devil quotes the Bible often too. You know, so I don't think that he had Jesus in his heart like you and I have Jesus in our heart. I don't think that he had God on his side and he went through all that the way he went through it. And of course, we have not gone through all that and we have God on our side. He's with us and he's in us. So how much more is he going to help us out of our tragedies, out of our failures? Because he's with us and he cares for us and he loves us. Yeah? Absolutely. I mean, a couple of you believe that. Okay, all right. So if you're writing something down tonight, I want you to write this down. And if you're not writing something down, write it down anyway. Sometimes we win and sometimes we learn. Sometimes we win and sometimes we learn. 
How many of you have been to college without ever going to college? Buddy, I thank you, Gerald. Yeah, you got, yeah, listen, Nikki, yeah. I have been to college a couple times without going to college, and I've paid a lot of money. Y'all pay a lot of money too? Pay a lot of money. Wow, I've had a couple failures that have cost me thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. You know, but I, it didn't, it, I, yeah, I was, boy, I was hurt. Man, I was crushed. But I didn't let it stop me. I tried something else. I did something else. I started another business, you know. I wasn't letting that failure define me. You can't let it do that. You have to get over it. Cut your losses. Lick your wounds, as they say, you know, and move on. You have to do that. Oh, hallelujah. It ain't easy. I get it. It's not easy. But here's the thing. Our past failures and disappointments does not equal our future. What has happened to us in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen to us in the future. Here's a good example. Thank you for this. Okay. How many of you, when you were, I don't know, kids all the way maybe through college, have ever asked somebody out to be a boyfriend or girlfriend out on a date and they said no? A lot of you are lying in here to die. <laughs> yeah, a couple times for me. Can you believe that? I couldn't believe it. A couple times for me. They were blind, I think. Yeah. All right. So that was a failure, okay? But now those same people that raise their hands, how many of you are now married, have a spouse, or have boyfriends or girlfriends? Okay. Absolutely. You're hugging yours right now really tight. Very nice. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you see the past doesn't equal the future. Yeah, you got turned down then. But there was somebody else that said yes to you now. So things can change. But you never know if you stay in the waller, stay, I don't care, nobody loves me, I, I would ever live in my failure. You're never going to move on and get the one that God has for you. Right? I just said, hey, you know what? There's a lot more fish out in the sea. Forget you. It's your loss, you know? <laughs> and there was. I was blissfully taken by Nicole. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus, the 32nd chapter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Exodus, the 32nd chapter, and we are going to start in verse 1, and we are going to go all the way down to verse 6. You know, another thought that I just, that I just had was yeah, how, a lot of you guys know Nicole and our story. Um, you know, I was uh, 19 and a half when I married Nicole. She was just turned 18, and four days later I married her. You know, and so 32 years. Wow, 32 years we've been married. I was working at Sherwin-Williams uh, as the assistant manager, and we had bought a house together with our money together, and um, I needed some money, obviously, to work on our house, and my dad had had, had some painting jobs, and he asked me if I wanted to paint with him. I said, yeah, Dad, I need money. You know that. And so I, I, I did a job for him, and, um, and then the lady wanted to pay me, and I didn't know my address in Maplewood. So I said, I just sent it to Sherwin-Williams, and I'll get it there. So they did that. Well, the check never came, never came, never came. And it took like five days later, 
the manager handed me the check and he said, is this yours? I said, oh, thank you so much, dude. I needed that so bad. Well, I also need your keys. What do you mean you need my keys? Yeah, you're fired. I'm what? You're fired. Two weeks before we're going to get married. I have failed my wife and I'm not even married to her yet. I have failed Nicole. I was fired for conflict of interest, painting on the side. I didn't even have a business. I wasn't thinking about that. It was horrible. It was horrible. So obviously I was crying. Nicole was crying. And we went to Phyllis's house and, and her mom's house. And we're crying. And then she's starting to cry. And then, and then we said, we can't do this. I, we're going to have to call off the wedding. And she looked at us. She said, oh, no, you're not. We've got $6,000 in this wedding. You're getting married. You know, <laughs> that's what she said to us. You know, and then we go see Pastor, you know, and he's sitting back in his big chair in the office. You know, sit back there, and we're telling him with tears, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm fired. We bought a house together. It was just horrible. I was a failure. And he said, Randy, he said, you know what? He said, affliction is light and but for a moment. And I was like, that's easy for you to say. You're in a big comfy chair back here. You're secure, you know. And he says, what did you get fired for? I said, painting on the side. And he said, well, then why don't you start your own painting business then? And I was like, huh, that sounds like an idea, you know. And so we had the honeymoon. And of course, I was apologizing. Nicole, I'm so sorry. You still want to marry me, man? I'm such a failure. I ain't married you yet. I lost a job. Never been fired before in my life and never since. You know, but uh, when we got back, I, I worked for Mike Roebuck, who had a painting business for a year, and then he started building garages, and I took over his painting business, and then started my own, and had it for five years, then started going to real estate, and then built houses, then kicked people out of their home. I mean, it was just crazy. But, you know, yeah, I worked for the banks and asset companies. It was a fun job. But, but uh, you know, but it was, it was I could have let that just stunt me and not move on. But there's no way. Yeah, it hurt. Yeah, I was upset, angry. You did me wrong. You know, but I had to move on. I couldn't let that failure define who I was and who I was going to be. So I want to show you some examples today in the Bible of people that were the same way. And I want to show you because I know a lot of people think, I'm not worthy. You don't know what I did. Blah, 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 blah. And I don't, and I don't understand that frame of mind. And I want to dig that out of you by showing you truth and showing you what God has done to other people that have also failed much miserably than you and I have. So we're going to start in Exodus 32 and we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read down to 6. But the backstory of this, as we're talking about Aaron and Moses here, and Aaron is, is Moses' older brother and he was the spokesperson person for Moses because Moses could not speak. He thought he couldn't speak well, and so he had to have somebody help him. And that will you'll find that in Exodus the 4th chapter verse 28 through 30. Aaron was Moses's right-hand man. And the Bible says that when Aaron died, that the people loved him so much that they mourned for 30 days. And you'll find that in Numbers 20:29. 20, he was loved so much. He was so popular. He was amazing, and the people loved him, and they mourned for him 30 days. That was beautiful. 
So here we go in verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. Listen to that. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Remember that. Don't forget that. He made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wow, what heresy. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up and began to play and do horrific carnal things. Wow. These were the people that God just rescued. My, they saw the hand of the Lord. Man, 400 years of slavery. Didn't take long for them to figure that out and forget it, did it? Huh, yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. <laughs> now, Exodus thirty-two twenty-one. Well, let's see, in verse 7, actually God says, hey, I need you to go back down there. Those people that you rescued have come against me. They're messing up bad. You go down there and you take care of it. And so in Exodus 32, 21, it says, And Moses said to Aaron when he got back down there, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? This is what Aaron says. Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Boy, he's playing the blame game. I think somebody else did that too, didn't it? Adam, why have you done this? It was that wife you gave me. Yeah, uh uh-huh, boy. Yeah, absolutely. Verse 23. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire, and this calf came out. What? You lying sack of trash, you. He lied. He said, I just threw the gold in there, Moses, and the calf appeared. Wow, what a lie. Man. This is Moses' right-hand man. This is like the vice president of the United States. And he lied. And then it says this. Woo. Okay. He lied and he didn't restrain them while Moses was on the mountain. So remember, Moses put him in charge. I'm going up. And he didn't restrain the people. And he made a calf. He lied about it, and as a result, 
he got, Aaron got 3,000 men killed because of his disobedience, because of his epic failure. Epic failure. 3,000 men died because of his epic failure. Also, an angel even came into the camp and plagued the people after those 3,000 men died because of what Aaron did with the calf. Whew. That's big stuff. That is an epic failure. That was beyond an epic failure on Aaron's behalf. So my question to you is this. How many of you have had such an epic failure that it cost somebody else 3,000 lives? Nobody here? You're kidding. Jeez, I would have thought that somebody messed up that bad here that 3,000 men had died. No. Okay. Do you see how big this is? Now think of your failure. Does it even compare to that? Does it even come an inch to what Aaron did? I would have to say no. Nobody here has got 3,000 men killed and an angel come to a camp and plague people on top of it all. I don't think so. So that was unbelievable, a monstrous failure on his part. But now I want you to see the grace and the mercy of God in Aaron's life after that monstrous failure. I brought this story to you because I want you to see that God redeems. He cares, he loves, and he forgives. Even with failures this mighty and this big. Exodus, the 40th chapter, verse 12, and we'll read probably through uh, 15. It says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron. Really? You mean you're not going to stone him to death? Holy garments? Okay. And anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. What? And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, the, that they may minister to me as priests as well. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Oh my gosh. If I would have been Aaron, I think I'd have ran out of the camp as far as I could when Moses said, come here, I got to talk. Let's go boys at night, we're out, you know. Wow, what a turnaround. What a turnaround. Even after that epic fear, God anointed Aaron as the very first priest, guys, in the old covenant. What an honor. What mercy and grace God had for him in that horrible failure. Wow, that's the God that we serve, guys. That's the God that you and I serve. He was redeemed. And you know, and he didn't, that just wasn't one mistake Aaron made. He made lots of mistakes. Remember when him and Miriam were talking about Moses? They didn't like what he was doing. You know, they were talking, tail bearing. Ooh, 
God don't like that either. Matter of fact, he didn't like it so bad that he smit Miriam with leprosy for seven days for her disobedience. Seven days. But then again, he had grace and mercy for her epic failure that he restored her after seven days. Punished her for seven days, but then restored her for it. Remember, he chastens those that he loves, right? He wants us to succeed. He wants us to do good. He wants to bless us. But if we continue doing the wrong thing, going down the wrong path, he has to chasten us. If we, the people that don't, yes, I'm going to say it, spank their kids, use the rod as the Bible says, they don't love their kids. They don't love them. Hey, I got a 24, 19, or 20, yeah, 24, 21, and 18-year-old now. I know what I'm talking about. If you don't discipline your children, I'm sorry, you don't love your children. Because God chastens whom he loves, and we have to chasten whom we love. I don't want my kids doing wrong. I don't want them growing up having all these failures and mistakes. Even though they're going to make them, that's great. But I don't want them doing wrong. I want the best for them. And God wants the best for us. And we see that through Aaron. Hallelujah. Okay. Praise the Lord. Remember Moses himself murdered an Egyptian for beating one of his own kind and hitting them in the sand and then running away for 40 years. Look what God did with Moses. Wow, that was an epic failure, murder. How many of you guys have murdered somebody in here? Don't raise your hand. Because <laughs> that could have happened, I understand. You know, we make those mistakes. But he murdered him and hit him and then ran away. And God redeemed him. Even after that epic failure. Uh, Abraham failed to wait on the promise from God. And Abraham and Sarah took it upon themselves to have a baby their way instead of God's way. What an epic fail that was. That was a humongous epic fail. Also, he lied about his wife twice. And then his son lied about his wife as well. As a matter of fact, the epic failure of Abraham is probably one of two of the greatest epic failures of all time because it created one of the fastest growing false religions of all time, and that's Islam. Because of his epic failure, both of their epic failures. But look what God did. He still redeemed. Still redeemed. Still loved. Still moved on their behalf. And of course, the epic failure of all time was Adam and Eve. Horrific epic failure. And that epic failure will last until, of course, the new heaven and the new earth comes. That was a horrific epic failure. But he didn't kill them. Didn't kill them. He clothed them. Yeah, he chastened them. Sent them out of the garden. But he clothed them. And the Bible says that he took care of them. He took care of them. But that was an epic failure. But he still didn't burn them on the spot. <laughs> okay? Amen? So far, have you done anything close to any of those guys? I don't hear any, anything. So guess what? God... Is going to redeem you, can redeem you, will redeem you, has redeemed you. That's right. Okay, David's epic failure cost him a son. And of course, division and death and corruption plagued him throughout his family until he died. Yeah. But what did God still say? He's a man after my own heart. His heart was right. He failed miserably. Had a man killed. <clears throat> you know, but... His heart was right. 
He repented. And there's a whole sermon in all that. And God redeemed him for that. Samson's epic fail cost him his eyes and a lot of humiliation, probably a lot of pain, a lot of torture. But in the end, he said, God, just one more time, one more time. Will you be with me? And God said, absolutely, Samson, I will. And he killed more people in death than he did while he was alive. That was God's mercy and grace on his life. Didn't have to do it. Could have said, nope. I warned you and warned you and warned you and warned you. You knew the rules. Don't take a woman outside of your tribe. You did anyway. What a moron. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Noah failed by getting drunk and was naked. Peter failed Jesus by denying him three times. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you know, when I think of that story, how would you... Okay, let's say that... Uh, let's see. Philip, let's say that you're my best friend, okay? And I see that you're in trouble. I, you're in trouble, and you're depending on me. You're counting on me. I've been with you for three and a half years. Man, we're tight. You know, everything's good. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff together. It's been good. But all of a sudden, now you're in trouble. And you are going to get arrested. And you look and say, but I'm innocent. He knows it. He was with me. I wasn't there. And I look at the guard or the, or the, or the jail guy or the police officer and say, I don't even know this dude. I don't even know who he was. I don't even know who he is. And you're like, what? What are you talking about, Randy? You're with me. You're my best friend. Bro, I, I have no clue what he's talking about. He's messed up. He probably on the juice, you know. He's, he's gone. I, I don't understand. Randy, please, I'm going to prison if you don't help me. This is my weakest point. I need you now more than I've ever needed you. You're my best friend. You're supposed to back me up. You're supposed to be there with me. You're supposed to be praying with me, helping me. Man, I don't know where you got my name. Deuces. <laughs> How would he feel? Wow, you traitor, you. You hypocrite. This is what Peter did to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus' most vulnerable time in his life, Peter denies him. Denies him three times. Man, how would you and I feel if that happened to us? Woo, it would be on when he got out of prison. <laughs> He'd be after me. I have to change my name, go into hiding. I'm sure. But did Jesus do that to Peter? Did he mess him up? No, he didn't. And we'll talk about that just a little bit here if we have time. Wow, time is, is time. Okay. Paul killed Christians. And look what Paul did. What epic failure was that? Wow. Peter's epic failure. Noah's epic failure. Peter received mercy, as we know. And you know, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, God talks about all these guys. And you know, when I look at Hebrews 11, I don't see one mention of any failure that those guys have done. All I see is their accomplishments and their faith. That's all God talked about. Didn't say one word about their massive failures. And indiscretions. No. Talked about their faith. Wow. That's the God we serve. It's how much he loves us and cares for us. Hallelujah. Somebody could shout right there if they wanted to. Woo! 
That was a very weak shout. Wow. All right. Listen, y'all. Great people fail. All right. Normal people fail. We all fail. James 3.2 says, we all stumble in many ways. Not just one way, in many ways. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, indeed, there is not one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. None. Nobody. Nobody. You know, and I do want to say that some failures have nothing to do with sin. You know, Abe Lincoln's failure, you, he just, the store didn't work out. Whoops, sorry. It was over. You know, I failed at a business. I didn't sin in any way. It just, it just started going downhill. You know, I didn't sin. It was just, it was a bad failure in business. So some failures have nothing to do with sin. But they're still fail, failures that still set us back. And for some reason, we just can't move on and get over it. And we have to. We have to. Our failures are forgiven by God. But the next question I have to you is this. Do you forgive yourself? Do you forgive yourself? We all do things and we think, oh, gosh, man, I was stupid. Why am I doing this? God, there's no way you're going to forgive me for that. Well, you know by what we just read here that absolutely he does and he will and he has. He does, he will, and he has. So if he has, then you have to. You've got to forgive yourself to move on. You won't go anywhere unless you do. God has forgiven you and forgotten about it. Hebrews 11, he didn't say a word about it. He doesn't say a word about it to you, and he'll never bring it back up to you. There's only two people that will, you and the devil. The only two people is going to ever bring it back up. Yourself and the devil. And if you forgive yourself, you can laugh at the devil because he's a liar. Because he's a liar. Some way we have to forgive ourselves. And if you can't forgive yourself, people, then how are you ever going to forgive somebody else when they fail you? It's going to be hard or you're not going to be able to. And then again, you can't move on and that stuff hinders all parts of your life, not just one area, but it hurts the whole you. So we have to get through that stuff, and we have to move on. It must have been very hard for Peter to forgive himself after denying Jesus three times and acting like a sinner in front of people, actually cussing and carrying on, trying to be somebody who he was not because he was afraid. And then in Luke twenty two sixty one, hearing the rooster crow and then seeing Jesus look at him after that rooster crowed as if to say, I told you so. Oh, can you imagine that look? Oh my gosh, I can't imagine that look. Jesus looking at you and go, hmm, I told you that would happen. Because you guys remember, remember what they said. Remember what all the disciples said. He said, I'll die with you, Jesus. And then all the disciples said, and so will we. And the next thing you know, they flee. <laughs> they all ran. Nobody was with them. What an epic failure that was. <laughs> 
Matthew 26, 35 said all the disciples said they would do and die with Jesus, and they all ran away. And when we look at where the disciples were after Jesus died, it's interesting where we find them. They weren't scattered. They were together. They were together. John 20, 19 said, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So the disciples were together. They were in a place. They was probably having church. Once a week they had church, but they were together. And in, again, in the, the 26th verse, John 20, 26, it says, After eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus again came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. See, these guys, I'm sure, were supporting each other. I'm sure they were crying with each other. I'm sure they were feeling so guilty and miserable about the failures that they had done. Talking about the rooster crowing. Talking about what Peter did. Talking about everything. They were together. They were helping each other. They were supporting each other. Loving on each other. All those things. As a small group, basically, is what it was. And you know, Jesus created the first ever small group, his 12 disciples. That was the first ever small group. And they got to see a lot of things together. They got to learn together. They got to be rebuked together. <laughs> they did a lot of stuff together. And the Bible says in Matthew 18, 20, that wherever two or three come together, he is in the midst of them. So not only is God here with us, but in every small group that we have around this building tonight, Jesus is there. He is in the midst of every small group that we have going on right now. He's there. All around the building, he's there. Friendships are being made and formed. People are being uh, transformed in these small groups. Support is there for people that need it. All these things are happening. Healings are taking place. Man, people were filled with the Holy Spirit in small groups. And we hear so many amazing reports. Discipleship is truly being done in our small groups on our Wednesday nights. They're very important. And Jesus is right there in the midst of those small groups. And that's why they're so important to our church. And they will continue to grow and get bigger and bigger. And we'll have more and more here at Only Believe because they're making a difference. They're making a difference. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we can't let our failures define us, and we are not viewed by God as failures, as you already have seen. Our worth and identity is not in our failures. It's in the merciful hand of Jesus. Come on, come on. Hallelujah. Don't let failure or fear of failing or your past Determine your identity. We're still on identity when it comes to failing. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, Through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. Woo! There's a shouting part right there as well. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Whoa, thank God that they're new every single morning. Man, oh man. Yeah, hallelujah. What that scripture means is that God's mercy doesn't depend on how good or bad we are. 
<laughs> Woo! That's beautiful, right? Absolutely. If you do well <coughs> as a Christian one day, and then the next day, uh-oh, we mess up real bad, that's going to determine how God is going to treat us that day. It's not how he works. It's not how he works. He doesn't work like that. Our brains work like that sometimes, but that's not how God works in our lives. Hallelujah. <laughs> that's crazy. His mercy endures forever, and they are new every morning. Now, when it comes to Michael Jordan, performance does matter whether he gets, obviously, the pay that he gets. His paycheck is a performance-based paycheck. If he don't do what he's supposed to do, pay goes down. Shoes go away. Promotions leave. But just because we mess up, we do wrong, we have failures, God doesn't change who he says we are and can be and what he wants to do with us, through us, and to us. And that's powerful. And thank God for that grace and mercy that he has for you and I. That he's forgiven us and he's forgotten it. It's over. It's done. Hallelujah. God's mercies are new every day for you and I. So failure is not not messing up. Failure is giving up and not trying. That's what true failure really is. Failure is not not doing something. Failure is not doing it at all. I'd rather do something, try something, and fail than not do it at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. Failure is not not using your faith. Failure is saying, oh, well, what will be, will be, and not using your faith in the circumstance. That's failure. <clears throat> failure should help us get better. <clears throat> we should learn through failure. Failure should show us what doesn't work. Thomas Edison, hello. How many light bulbs? 800 or something? I don't know. And when it doesn't work, and when we fail, what we should do is this. Galatians 6, 4. Let each examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. We have to examine ourselves. Why did this happen? Why did I mess up here? Or why didn't that work? How can I do something? Maybe, this is, maybe I did this on my own. Maybe I wasn't supposed to do this. I didn't hear from God, so since I didn't hear from God, I thought I should do it. And so I did it, and then it failed. Man, God, how did you do this to me? He never said anything. So I thought it was him, but it really wasn't him. See, that's what goes around in my head <laughs> when I failed my first business. What? How could that be? Hmm. Yeah, see, I got a weird mind, I know. It's crazy. Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Woo. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets what? Another chance. And the NKJV says, yeah, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. This, of course, is the uh, living Bible, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Wow, that's awesome. That's beautiful. We have to be <clears throat> open and honest with God. He knows it anyway. It doesn't have to be sin. Like I said, it can be as simple as 
a business or anything else. I'm, you know, this is how simple it was. Last year at Aqua Grande for us, Aqua Grande has always been a success. The kids love it. We get new families that come in and things like that. And we got, what, two weeks from now, Aqua Grande's coming back again during Family Sunday. Last year, an epic fail was our three-way volleyball. It was horrible. The kids hated it. The, the balls went everywhere. The water wasn't right. It just, they were just standing around. And I looked and I was like, that was a failure. And I don't like to fail. And so, you know what? I said, okay, forget it. Boom, three volleyball, gone. See ya. And I got something else I'm doing. So it could be as simple as that. I'm trying something else. I hope it don't fail. But if it does, I'll try something else. You can't let it get to you. You can't let it bother you. Move on. Forget about it. Go on. Amen? All right. Hallelujah. Judge your own actions. Every one of those people that we talked about in the beginning who failed had to judge their actions. Man, Lord, even David talked about it through song, through everything else. Talked about it. David never did it again. Jonah never did that again. Remember? Told God, forget you, and went 3,500 miles the opposite way. He never did that again. You know, David didn't do it again. Abraham didn't do what he did again. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man falls seven times. And he rises again. He rises again. We should never give up doing good and doing what is right. Don't allow fear or failure to stop you from fulfilling your calling to what God has for you. Accept his mercy and his grace. Forget about your failure and move on. And I close with this statement. I have so much more, but there's just no time. You know, I've heard the government say that they should never waste a good crisis. (laughs) Whether they do good or they do bad, they don't waste a good crisis. I say this, don't ever waste a failure in your life. What I mean is this, let's say that you went through a divorce, you've been forgiven, you've been transformed, you should be helping somebody if they're going through a divorce right now. Share your failure. Share your success. If you've lost a business, you know what? Share that failure with somebody who's starting a new business. Help them. If you have gotten over a disease or or whatever, how you went through it, uh, if you lost a child, whatever the failures were in your life, don't waste them. Share them with other people who are going through those things that you have conquered and got over and let go and moved on with. You see where I'm going? We're a family. We've got to help each other. We've got to stick together. And we've got to help each other succeed. Because we all have problems. We all have failures. So if we stick together, if we help one another, nobody here is better than anybody else. Jesus is no respecter of persons and neither should we be. We should be helping each other. Don't waste your failure. Help somebody else with it. I remember when I failed my first business, I had another guy who took over my business, and I showed him what not to do. He'll tell you. I said, don't do this or this or this or this. And you know what? He was quadruple successful, more successful than me. Yeah, I was a little mad, but I was happy for him. I never got my 2% either. (laughs) I was glad to see him successful. With my kids, 
I don't want them to go what I, th- what I went through, my failures as a father. I want them never to have those kind of failures. So we teach them and help them and show them. And it's up to them with their kids what to do. Share your failures, people. Stand up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we, we, just, we just come before you as we close tonight. God, we, we love you so much. We thank you so much for your word, the richness that's in your word, Lord God. God, how it heals our souls, how it heals our minds, how it heals our bodies, how it heals us emotionally and physically. Oh God, I thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Lord, those that are out there today that are having a hard time with forgiving themselves or with the failures that they've had in their life, the fear maybe that they have, scared that they'll fail again, Lord, I ask that you help them. Lord, I ask that you give them the courage to take that step to forgive themselves, to forgive others, and move on. God, erase it from them, Lord Jesus. Let them feel your mercy, your love, and your compassion. Just as you had mercy and love and compassion for Peter. Oh God, for all those in the old covenant and new covenant that failed miserably. God, your mercy and grace was enough. And I thank you that for us, they're new every morning as well. Thank you for helping them. Holy Spirit, get through this so they can move on in their life. And God, we just rebuke the devil's thoughts, the tormenting thoughts, and the fear in Jesus' name that could be in these lives tonight, God. We rebuke it. We command it to leave and go in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for peace. I thank you they feel that forgiveness, and they can let go. Give it to you, Lord God, and move on for the first time in their life tonight. God, we thank you for releasing it in Jesus' name. Now, God, bless everybody tonight. God, bless their homes, bless their businesses, bless their workplaces. God, I thank you for raises, Lord God, and commissions, Father, to be on your people. Thank you for great favor wherever they go, wherever they put their foot, wherever they tread, Lord God. Favor for them, favor for their children and their grandchildren as well. God, I thank you. We speak peace into their lives, prosperity into their lives, healing into their lives tonight, God. And we thank you for this. And everybody said, amen. Good night. Love you all. We'll see you Sunday morning.